Good morning. I want to welcome you here this morning. It's good to be here. Sun is shining. We lost an hour of sleep. Was I the only one that was so afraid to go to sleep last night because I just knew I was going to oversleep? Do, is, am I the only one that's it's like that? I guess so. Okay. Well, I did make it to the 8 o'clock service, so I was glad for that. So uh, as we're approaching Resurrection Sunday, we're going to start a new series uh, called Defining Moments. It's going to be based on John chapter 13. We're going to be looking at people in the latter days of uh, Jesus' life in those uh, week or two leading up to his journey to the cross uh, who had these defining moments, these encounters uh, with Jesus. So maybe we need to define what a defining moment is and dictionary definitions didn't really care for them. I, I think the best definition I liked was somebody who said a defining moment happens when you come face to face with a truth that invites you to change the way you live. A defining moment. Facing a truth, how am I going to live going forward? This pivotal decision at a time of challenge, a time of crisis. And uh, I think of January the 15th, 2009, Captain Chelsea Burnett Sully Solinger, right? Pivotal moment. His U.S. Airways plane uh, is uh, going down on the Hudson River, and he saves all 155 passengers on board. And we think of that, and we think of a defining moment. In fact, he said he had prepared his whole life for that one defining moment. So a defining moment, it can be an achievement, something, a success that we have. It could be um, deciding that, you know what, let's go on a second date because the first one, we're not really sure how this is going to go, and that ends up becoming your spouse. It could be choosing to forgive somebody who has harmed you. It could be going back to school, finishing that degree, starting that new career. It could be going on a mission trip. It could be starting a family, taking a step of faith. It could be uh, following through on one of your passions. Those would be defining moments that come out of achievements, but sometimes a defining moment can come out of a failure. So on a, a negative side, a defining moment could come uh, from that very first time you were ever betrayed. It might be that time that you lost your job or maybe you got fired. Maybe you really embarrassed yourself because you drank too much or you uh, lost your cool in public. Defining moments can be a negative, come out of a negative. Cubs fans remember Steve Bartman, right? Steve Bartman, poor guy. He interfered with Moises Alou from catching that foul ball in Game 6 of the 2003 National League uh, Championship Series. Kept them from going to the World Series. So sometimes it's something good that happens to us. Something, sometimes it's something bad. And what we do with that, with that defining moment, can be very important. They tend to be these life-changing experiences. They become a fork in the road. It can send our lives in different directions. It can completely transform us, have this uh, uh, trajectory that sends us in one direction 
or the other. Defining moments, they're not just kind of a one and done kind of thing. They can happen at different times in our lives. Our lives can be a series of defining moments. I watched a TED talk of a, gay, a guy by the name of Dave McGallivray. And uh, he's uh, from Boston. He's five foot four inches tall. And he said, growing up in Boston, a sports town, all he ever wanted to do was to be an athlete. But he was five feet four inches tall. And in high school, when he got cut from his high school basketball team, the coach pulled him aside and he said, you know, Dave, if you were five inches taller, you would be my starting point guard. And so he went home and he put a sign over his bed that said, God help me to grow. And he said he didn't grow any taller, but he did grow. And he grew, he, he grew intellectually and he grew spiritually. He grew emotionally and he decided to take up running. And he thought that would be a good thing. And he said that there was this small little race in Boston called the Boston Marathon. And uh, without really any thought or much training, he just ran the Boston Marathon. And, and he, of course, he failed. He couldn't, he couldn't run that far. And his grandfather told him afterwards, his mentor, he said, uh, you know, Dave, you've got to train for these things. So for that next year, his grandfather trained him how to run in the Boston Marathon. But his grandfather died two months before this, his second Boston Marathon. Second Boston Marathon comes around, he starts running, he gets to mile marker 21, and he's done. He's just finished. He cannot take another step, and he just bows out of the race, and he's kind of laying on the curb, and he looks up, and he is right across from the cemetery where his grandfather was buried. And inspired by his grandfather, he got up, and he, and he finished that race. And he became this runner of marathons, particularly his, this passion for the Boston Marathon. Uh, and, and he actually became the director who ran the Boston Marathon. At the same time, he was running in the Boston Marathon. Forty-six times he has completed the Boston Marathon. And then he had another defining moment. While in training, here's a guy who's done all kinds of events. He's literally run all the way across the United States in 80 days. He's done all kinds of Ironman events uh, around the world. And yet, he found himself having this health crisis. He started being uh, um, uh, light of breath and feeling chest pains. Goes to doctor, 90% blockage in one of his main arteries. Another defining moment and how he was going to deal with that. Had any defining moments in your life? You know, the Bible is full of people who have defining moments. You know, maybe we could say Abraham's defining moment was when he had to take his son up atop the mountain and to offer him as a sacrifice to God. Moses' defining moment was that burning bush. Joshua's defining moment was when uh, the Jordan River divided in front of him and he led uh, God's people into the promised land. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had a defining moment. They went in and out of the furnace, coming out untouched. Daniel had that defining moment, went into the lion's den, and came out whole. Peter had a defining moment, walking on the water, 
For Paul, it was walking on the road to Damascus and being blinded and hearing the call of Jesus on his life. And we could just go on and on about one person after another in Scripture who had defining moments. These servants who had for years been in preparation for God bringing to them this defining moment, these these times when they were involved in something beyond their very own human experience. They was outside of their own paradigms of life. God moved them outside of their boxes, and when God moved into their lives, their lives were never the same. God is working in all of our lives, preparing us for our next defining moment. You might even say that the secret of life, a great life, is being able to discern when those defining moments happen and when they do, turning those defining moments into God moments. So what's a God moment? How do you turn a defining moment into a God moment? I think a defining moment becomes a God moment when in that defining moment we realize God is most important. We have a new understanding of who God is and all of a sudden he he just goes up higher in our understanding of who he is. That's turning a defining moment into a God moment. I think a, I think a defining moment becomes a God moment when in that defining moment we realize God has a path for us and we choose to go in that path. That's turning that defining moment, whether it's a good moment or whether it's a bad moment, into a God moment. Can you identify the defining moments when God shaped your life? For me, I would probably have to start with uh, my childhood best friend, and particularly my childhood best friend's mother, who just tenaciously stayed after me and witnessed to me uh, to make sure that I uh, gave my life to Christ and I was baptized into Christ. That was such a defining moment for me as this 15-year-old kid. And, and, and then from that moment, just kind of getting thrust into this Christian environment and, and a group of Christians surrounding me and inviting me to become a part of this little singing group, eight kids from high school, and, and how that, that gave me a, a heart for ministry as we, as we went to church to church singing about Christ. And my home church that encouraged me to pursue a life of ministry and and told me about this place in Knoxville, Tennessee called Johnson Bible College and said if I would go there, they would pay my books and tuition all four years uh, that I was there. Those were uh, defining moments for me. Then the defining moment of going to Johnson and, and meeting this smart, beautiful girl by the name of Julia Lee and I invited her and she agreed to go on a date with me because the Broadway production of Annie came to Knoxville and she went out with me on February the 10th 1982 no she's not here I know you're all looking at just why is she embarrassed she's working with kids today that's a defining moment 
that very same smart, beautiful bride of mine reminded me of another defining moment this weekend. It was 11 years ago tomorrow that I woke up in the middle of the night with this elephant on my chest knowing that something drastically was wrong only to discover that it was 100% blockage of the widow maker. Those types of things become defining moments in your life. And so what about you? Can you identify defining moments in your life? I want you to be thinking about that. In fact, it's fine with me if you just kind of tune me out just for a second, open up your notes, just start writing down some of your defining moments in your life because I want you to, to think about them. I want you to think hard about them. I, I, I want you to share them. Share them with your family. Share them with your friends. How has God brought you to this place in your life? And I'd love to hear them. I'd love for you to call me up, tell me your story. Let's get lunch. Send me an email. I'd love to know what some of your defining moments are. But more than just a defining moment, we want to turn these things into God moments where we go in God's direction, when we have a new revelation of exactly who God is. So that's what we're going to do leading up to Easter. Uh, we're going to be looking at these people as Jesus is drawing himself closer to the cross. Out of the book of John, we're going to look at uh, some of these characters. And today we're going to start uh, with a guy by the name of Lazarus. We're going to take a look at um, a, a day in the life of Lazarus in John chapter 12. Now, <clears throat> John uh, gives us the story of Lazarus, but Lazarus's defining moment really does not happen in John chapter 12. It really happens in John chapter 11 when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. <laughs> Pretty defining moment in your life, right? You've been dead four days and Jesus comes along and raises you from the dead. Remember that story? How Lazarus was a friend, follower of Jesus. He had a couple of sisters. Their names were Mary and Martha. They lived in Bethany, just a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. And oftentimes when Jesus would go to Jerusalem, we get the idea that uh, Jesus would at times stay with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. So they had this connection, they had this relationship, and when Lazarus got sick, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus. Jesus kind of lagged getting there. When he finally got there, Lazarus had been dead four days. Mary and Martha were pretty upset with Jesus, and Jesus kind of gave Mary and Martha a lecture, did he not? About, hey, do you know who you're talking to? Because I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he backed up those words by going to the tomb and having it rolled away, much to the objection of Mary and Martha, by the way. And then we find this in John chapter 11. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound, hand and foot, with linen strips and with his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. That's a life-changing, defining moment right there, being raised from the dead. Not just for Lazarus, not just for Mary and Martha, but for all the people of Bethany. In fact, not just for the people of Bethany, but the people of nearby 
Jerusalem and in all of Judea. I mean, everybody heard about this incredible thing that happened to the life of Lazarus, so much so that the text goes on and says that many of the Jews placed their faith in Christ because of this great miracle. And it also goes on and says there in John chapter 11 that many of the chief priests and the Pharisees ramped up their efforts to kill Jesus because of this great miracle. And we kind of scratch our heads and we think, why? I mean, why would you ever want to kill somebody for bringing somebody else back to life? You think you would celebrate that, but we know how threatened these Jewish authorities were by Jesus. And, and they were afraid that Jesus' popularity would only instigate this Roman backlash against the Jewish people, so they wanted to get rid of Jesus. In fact, they wanted to get rid of Lazarus. So what does all this really have to do with Lazarus's defining moment? Well, let's go to John chapter 12. Let's kind of look at a day in the life of Lazarus, and uh, I think we can learn some things about defining moments here. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. So it says, six days before the Passover. So John gives us some context. This is right before Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem, celebrate the Passover, and then it's leading to that Passover where he went to the cross. Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining with him. Um, if you compare this with uh, the other gospel writers, Jesus had a very similar dinner. In fact, it's probably even the same dinner when he went into the home of a man by the name of Simon the leper, and yet Lazarus was there and Martha would have been serving. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wopped wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You can just kind of imagine what a beautiful smell that would have been. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Now there's a lot going on in this short little narrative. It's, it's almost like John gives us these little character sketches of a whole lot of people uh, who were main characters in this story. And uh, it kind of starts with Martha. 
And Martha was a, a practical woman. She loved Jesus, and her expression of love was serving. So Martha does what Martha does. She serves Jesus. And then you have Mary, this, the other sister, who was a very different personality from Martha, and she was a sensitive soul. And she loved Jesus um, with great generosity. And uh, she just seemed to be the only person in the whole room who really understood what was going on and what was about to happen to Jesus. And so uh, she prepared Jesus for his burial uh, out of her very life savings with this very expensive oil that she anointed him with. Then you have Judas, right? This embittered man who with this warped view of things. And he had this objection. It sounded very valid, didn't it? You know, we should have sold this and given it to the poor. But he wasn't championing the poor. We know he was this self-absorbed man motivated by nothing more than his own self-interest. And then you have the other negative voice in the story, that of the chief priests, these spiritually blind hard-hearted Jewish leaders who wanted Jesus dead. And Lazarus, right? Lazarus. And he's almost an afterthought to this story. He, it's almost as if he's not the main character that, that John is focusing on. And yet I want us to focus on Lazarus because next to Jesus, he was the biggest celebrity around. He was like royalty. It's kind of like he was Prince Harry. Is he still Prince? I don't know. I'm kind of confused by that. But everywhere he went, people just wanted a piece of him. They wanted to see him. People flocked to wherever Lazarus was, and for good reason. They had attended his funeral. <laughs> they knew he was dead. And yet here's Lazarus bebopping around town just like everybody else. You couldn't get enough of Lazarus. His life-giving, life-changing, defining moment, the news of that spread like wildfire throughout the entire region. So much so that when people actually saw Lazarus, they placed their faith in Jesus. Wow, that... He was dead. I know he was dead. We were all there. We saw him dead. He's alive. Only God could do that. Jesus must be the real deal. Countless numbers of Jews placed their faith in Christ, in Jesus, because of Lazarus. He was a walking, breathing testimony to the power of Jesus. But what I love about this defining moment in Lazarus' life is what he did with it. He came to this moment and he turned it into a God moment. He came to a greater understanding of exactly who Jesus is and he chose to go in the path that God wanted him to go. How to turn defining moments into God moments. It's kind of what I want to focus on here with Lazarus and John chapter 12. So when God orchestrates something in your life, some kind of a defining moment, I think it can go one of two ways. It's kind of like that proverbial fork in the road, right? We can uh, 
take that and, and, and turn it into a God moment and, and have a new discovery of God, go in the way that God wants us to go, follow his call on, in our, on our lives, and that's what Lazarus did. Or we can kind of do like Judas did. Judas, who was also at the tomb, who also saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He, it could have been a defining moment for, La, for, for Judas, but, but Judas, no, he continued to go down this road, this road of self-absorption and self-interest and, and, and complete uh, greed in his life. We can go one of two ways when it comes to these defining moments. We want to turn them into God moments. How do we do that? Well, it's really as simple as A, B, and C. All right? A is this. Admit to the reality of Christ. Just admit to the reality of Christ. Now, I know this sounds pretty basic, pretty simple, but it is the most important step. If you miss this step, you're not ever going to get anywhere else with these defining moments. Because sometimes when God steps into our lives and we find that we're being abundantly blessed in some way, we, for whatever reason, human nature, sinful nature, our pride, we don't know. But there is something in us that wants to explain away the God factor in it. It's almost as if we want to take credit for ourselves. We have some kind of a success. Maybe it's a financial gain. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe we overcome some kind of a health scare, right? You've been there, haven't you? Or you've had a drastic lifestyle change. Maybe you kick some kind of a bad habit, and all of a sudden you find yourself patting yourself on the back for your latest and greatest achievement. Listen. The main reason you have a defining moment in your life is because God made it happen. You have to face the reality of Christ. And Lazarus did not deny the obvious. That the reason he had a new life was because Christ raised him from the dead. He didn't attribute this new life of his to Locke or to fortune, or to fate. He readily admitted it was the power of Christ in his life. That's why I say, I want you to look at your life. I want you to be able to say, you know what? That was a defining moment, and it was followed by this defining moment. And then I came to this crossroads, and that became a defining moment in my life. I want you to be able to see those because the older you get and the more you look back, the more you realize, wow, God's hand was at work. And to have an awareness of the hand of God on your life is so key to understanding how to turn these pivotal defining moments in our lives into God moments. That would be A. B would be this, to bask in your identity in Christ. Bask in your identity in Christ. We don't know a whole lot about Lazarus, to be honest with you. I, I'm fascinated by this character. I would love if we had a little bio 
on him. But particularly before he had his defining moment, I, I would like to know more about him. But it's just not provided for us. So we don't really know if he was a good guy or a bad guy. We don't know if he was a holy man or a hooligan. We don't know um, how he would have professionally identified himself. We don't know if he, were, was, uh, um, if he was the butcher, the baker, or the candlestick maker, right? And, and a lot of times people were known as, as Simon the Tanner or Peter the Fisherman or, or something like that. No, we, we don't know that he's not identified. He's just known as Lazarus. We know he lived in Bethany, and we know he had these two sisters named Mary and Martha. Whatever his identity was before he died and was raised from the dead, <laughs> after he was raised from the dead, he had that defining moment. His identity was unquestionable. He would forever be known as the guy, the dude that Jesus raised from the dead. Everybody looked at him like that. He would have had this, that name, that, that identity. He would have been known as this person that Christ came into his life and did something great, something powerful. What do you think that would do to him? What would that do to you? Well, you know, I thought I bit the dust, and I was, you know... Laying there at the funeral home for four days, and <laughs> they put me in the ground six feet under, and man, it's the craziest thing, you know. I just came back to life. Christ called me forth from the grave. What would that do to you? Well, I think it would change your identity. I think you would wake up every day realizing that this, is, this day is a gift. I shouldn't have this day, but I do have this day. And it's not something that I accomplished. This is a gift from, from Jesus himself. It would make you so grateful. And you would want to identify yourself with this great defining moment and what Christ has done for you. You guys are familiar with identity theft, right? Identity theft, I'll say it right. And I don't know if you have been um, a victim of it. We have, our kids have, our parents have. It just seems to be like at some point in time, you, somebody's going to steal your personal information and use it for fraudulent purposes, identity theft. And when that's happened to us, it makes us angry. Um, we feel violated. It's frightening, and it's just downright unacceptable. You want to know something kind of strange, though, about identity that we as Christians by definition have somebody else's identity right we we are called Christians because we take the identity of Christ upon us and it's not something we were born with it's not something that we earn it is just something that is gifted to us we have somebody else's identity. But it's not an identity theft. It's an identity gift. Lazarus, like us, 
We are given an identity gift. And when we are gifted with a new identity, that is a defining moment. That is such a big change in our lives because all of a sudden our identity of what? Failure, loser, sinner, you know, that is wiped away. Now we are, we are known as somebody that is loved by Jesus so much that he's willing to go to a cross and die for our sins. That we are children of God, brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and sin and condemnation no longer have a part of us. When, when the grace of God is gifted to you, you have this new identity. And that is such a changer. That, that is such a defining moment. Can you just... Grab a hold of that when you feel so condemned, so wrong, so awful, so low. I belong to God. Christ died for me. I have a new identity. Bask in that and turn that defining moment into a God moment. C would be choose to testify for Christ. Choose to testify for Christ. <laughs> you know your life is a powerful testimony when the enemies of Jesus want you dead. <laughs> That's pretty powerful testimony right there. Lazarus probably thought, man, I, I thought it was going to be great after I got raised from the dead. Now, now I just got to kind of run for my life. People are trying to take me out. That's a, that's a powerful testimony right there. And as we just kind of think about Lazarus' life and what he chose, the path that he chose to go on because of this defining moment, Lazarus realized something, that there is power in a life that is changed by Jesus. Right? When Jesus changes a life... That just speaks volumes. It is a powerful thing. And people stand up and they take notice and it's like, you mean that guy? I, I remember him. I remember her. I, I, I used to party with them. Is now a, this follower, this changed person? There is power in that. And we've already declared it, and we're going to declare it again, that there's no power like the power of Jesus. The power to change you, to change the trajectory of your life, the power to use that to bring change into others' lives. And as God gives you one defining moment after another, they may not all be really big, huge defining moments, but you start lining those up. And then when that big moment comes and you realize who God is and you go in the direction he wants you to go, he's going to use you to his glory in incredible ways and give you a new identity, to give you a new reputation, all to the glory of God. You know, I really think um, I'd be remiss if I just didn't say one more thing about defining moments here today. 
what is keeping you from allowing today to be your defining moment? And you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Your moment to cross the line of faith, to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. God raised Lazarus from a tomb. We can raise you from a watery grave, and Christ can become alive in you today. What's keeping today from being that day? Don't let anything stop that. Let's stand together and sing. We invite you to come today.